Hey, I'm Pastor Lori Beth. We are super excited to have Pastor Laura in the house today. Since July 1, you have been the campus pastor at Blackburn's Chapel, and so we are so excited to have you here today. Yay! Um, and she's going to be helping me bring the word this morning, but let me start with this. So, Children are often asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do when you, when you grow up? And when they're really little, a lot of times you will get this famous answer, a firefighter. And of course, who doesn't want to be a firefighter attracted to, to being the, the heroic, dry, uh, 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 the hero, as well as being able to drive that big, awesome red truck, right? It's very exciting, especially to a little kid. But did you know that... Uh, over out of a million firefighters that we have in the United States that serve our families, our businesses, our communities, that only 31% of those folks get paid for what they do. That's right, that means 69% uh, are volunteer firefighters. And in the um, state of Delaware, 98.3% of all fire departments are volunteer or mostly volunteer. Here in North Carolina, over 60% of our fire departments are volunteer. So why in the world do folks choose to put their lives at risk when it's not their paid vocation? And I think one of the reasons is because they love their neighbors. They love caring for their neighbors. So every Christian is called to sacrifice and to serve others, and it's not just the role of the paid minister or the paid church staff. And so one of the things that we want to explore today is how can we as a church serve our community at the time when it is most at risk right now? So, yes, we are continuing our sermon series on reimagining the church by remembering our origins. And today, the lesson from the early church that uh, we're going to focus on is this concept of the priesthood of all believers. So let me take a second to explain what that means. The, this doctrine, it is a, a belief, a doctrine asserts that all humans have access to God through Christ, that Jesus Christ is the true high priest, and so nobody then needs a priestly mediator, someone, a go-between between us and God, because Christ is that. And so this began to introduce a more democratic kind of element in how the church began to function, because it meant that all Christians were equal that ordained clergy then became more of a representative, a set-apart representative of the, the whole church body, the preaching and administering the sacraments on behalf of the people. And like that high percentage of volunteer firemen and women, there's an even higher percentage of volunteer priests and pastors because through Christ, we're all called to function as minister, ministers at some level. Now, 
the concept became official more in the Reformation time, which is like the 1500s, Martin Luther. Um, but our own founder, John Wesley, was a big fan of this concept. And when you think about how the early Methodist movement began to come in play, it was also necessary because of, uh, it needed to be lay-driven. There weren't that many ordained ministers in America. They were mostly in England. And, and so it was a priesthood of all believers that began to to make the, the Methodist movement spread. But when we think about the early church, that's actually how they functioned from the beginning. And it was one of the things that made them very different from Judaism that, they, that our early Christian movement sprung out of. All right, so that's one piece of what we're doing. But the other piece that we're doing is to talk about faith promise. And as I, I said at the top of the service, this is a Faith Promise Commitment Sunday. And normally that happens in the spring, but... We were a little disrupted, and that didn't seem to be uh, a, a, a something we had, could focus on at the moment, but we're excited to be able to do it now. And Faith Promise is uh, an opportunity in which our church offers missional giving above and beyond our commitments to the general offering for the church. And so uh, we're going to kind of go back and forth between what Scripture talks about with this priesthood of all believers, because we think there's a definite connection to scriptural and discipleship understanding and living out of this, this belief with being a Faith Promise supporter. And so as... As you hear our scripture that I'm going to read here this morning, I'll, I invite you to listen for a couple of things. I want you to, but mostly I want you to listen for ways in which you might demonstrate this priesthood of all believers in your own life today. So off we go. We've got uh, a couple of scripture passages to share with you. The first couple come from Hebrews chapter 13, and um, starting with verse 1. Keep loving each other like family. Don't neglect to open up your home to guests, because by doing this, some have been hosts to angels without knowing it. Remember prisoners as if you were in prison with them, and people who are mistreated as if you were in their place. And then verse 15. So let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise through him, which, the fruit from our, which is the fruit from our lips that confess his name. Don't forget to do good and to share what you have because God is pleased with these kinds of sacrifices. And then another kind of end of New Testament um, letter is from 1 Peter 2. I'll start with verse 4. Now you are coming to him as to a living stone. Even though this stone was rejected by humans, from God's perspective, it is chosen, valuable. You yourselves are being built like living stones into a spiritual temple. You are being made into a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then verse 9 but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. You have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness into his amazing light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. So, what we would like to do is kind of go back and almost go verse by verse and compare the picture that Scripture paints with uh, some of the ways that our, our faith promise partners are maybe living out the scriptures. And Laura's gonna help, help us do that this morning. But the very first verse that we start with says, love one another like family. And we've talked about this before, but Greek has, actually I think there's 10 words for love, and we have one word for love. And this particular word is Philadelphia. It's the brotherly love. And I wanna invite you to think about the bonds that you have with your family. Think about the links that you would go to protect or help the members of your family, the generosity that you're willing to show your family. All of these things we're usually more willing to do for our family than we are for a stranger or an acquaintance and maybe even a friend. But the author of Hebrews is trying to help us tap into that level of care for others like we do for our families. So what does it actually mean then to love each other like we love our family? Yeah, so, so first of all, um, as you're saying, when, when we're supporting our, our Faith Promise mission partners with our prayers, with our financial gifts, with our words of encouragement and support, um, we're creating family-like ties with them. And just like with, with those healthy family dynamics, when one of your family members is celebrating, you celebrate with them. And, and today we're going to be celebrating a lot of the wonderful work that our, our mission partners are doing. And likewise, when, when they're struggling, you, you feel the pain of it. And when they're in need, you try to offer support. And so in the big picture, uh, the goal of connecting the body of Christ is that we would begin to see, and e see each other and love each other like family, like brothers and sisters. And several of our Faith Promise partners also seek to embody this family-like love in the ministries that they do. I mean, I think of our App Wesley Foundation, which many students describe as becoming their home away from home, a family right there on campus um, to share the ups and downs, to be there for one another, and to help each other grow in faith. And and what's more, through App Wesley, many students connect here at Boone UMC uh, through our worship services, through things like our firewood ministry where they come and volunteer. And thus, in this way, too, we, we're able to love each other like family because we're getting to know each other and we're building those ties. Mm -hmm. Another one of our, our new Faith Promise partners that I think about is Katie Neely. Some of you might know her because she is part of our Boone UMC family. Um, she grew up uh, attending youth group here. And... She started because a friend of hers invited her to the youth group, and her family was attending another church in town after they had just moved here. Uh, but she, she found love and support in this community, and so um, she was in a small group through youth group, and then she got her small group leader to start bringing her to, to Crossroads, and um, then soon her whole family joined and have, are, are still active members here. And in college, um, Katie started getting involved with Young Life. She had participated in that in high school, but got really involved as a leader in college. And, and Young Life really nurtured her as a disciple, and she, she came to have that really deep, strong relationship with Christ uh, through, through her work with Young Life. And so after graduating, um, she felt a call to go into full-time 
service on staff with Young Life. And so she is uh, hoping to move next month to the northern neck of Virginia, where she'll, she'll be able to, to continue this work of creating that kind of family ties with um, the middle and high school youth that are involved with, with Young Life there, but also among the leaders, so that, that they can experience God's love and, and learn to love each other like family. I think creating this kind of family-like atmosphere can, can be really critical as youth and young adults are growing up and growing into their identity and learning what it means to be a disciple. Learning to love each other like family is also central to one of our international partners, um, and, and that's Zoe Ministries. And Zoe, um, at Zoe, these are, these are not just kind of add-on extended family ties, a home away from home for Zoe. Um, they work with children who have lost their parents. Right. And, and so they find themselves as, as orphans, as heads of households often, raising younger brothers and sisters. And so through this three-year empowerment program with Zoe, they um, gain new relationships with each other as they work together in peer groups. They come to, to grow in their faith and relationship with Christ as they see God's love in action. And they often are um, able to learn new skills that not only sustain them and their community, but are able to generously give to others as, as they have um, been given to. And so for the past three years, our Faith Promise uh, support has co-sponsored a group called Smart Vision in Rwanda. Uh, the, the, the youth themselves name their, give their working group a name, and that group was 27 households, a total of 87 kids, wow. and they, they just graduated in June. And oh. We co-sponsor that group with Henderson United, Hendersonville United Methodist, um, a little farther west in North Carolina, uh, and one of their members got to go and visit our Zoe group last year, and uh, when they were there, the, some members from the group were talking to them, and one of the things they actually said was that through Zoe, they have found a new family mm. together, and that they have love and are able to share, particularly with the younger kids in their community. And so we've been excited to support that group, and as they've graduated, we've now got a new group of 75 children from 29 households that are called the Gift Group, um, also in Rwanda. And so they were able to start meeting in January, and of course, COVID has disrupted their big group gatherings, but they're staying connected. And, and one of the ways I think we can pray for them is that mm. even through not being able to all come together, that they are able to build those bonds and still find those family-like connections that are so central to thriving. Right. Wow, those are all powerful examples of of the power of connecting at that family level of those bonds that we create with one another and also just an interesting reminder this disruption is worldwide and that other people are also struggling to figure out how they do life um, in this kind of new normal we find ourselves in right now um, so so let's look at verse two and um, and I, this is one of my favorites but it talks about the welcoming of strangers. Some translations um, say showing hospitality to, to strangers. Uh, the common English Bible was to open our homes to, to those we do not know. And that, that sometimes when we do that, we might then experience the, the, the surprise of entertaining angels. And I just think that's some beautiful imagery for what uh, Scripture is asking us, calling us to do. 
But there are a couple of things from the Old Testament this, this reminds us of, teachings that have been in place. Like, this is nothing new. This teaching has been in place for a long time, all the way back to Moses um, calling the Israelites to love the resident aliens that were there among them because they were once, resident, they were once aliens as well when they were slaves in Egypt. And to remember what that felt like or to remember the stories of the generations before and to, to treat those that um, are among us to, with that hospitality. Jesus also taught this same hospitality to strangers that, that in fact, it was essential, uh, an essential characteristic to discipleship. And he was particularly, as he was sending the disciples out for one of their missionary trips, uh, the teaching was that, that the, the people should receive them and welcome them, and, and this is part of the reason why. Now, when we have courage to show hospitality to strangers in this day and time and in our own context, we too can uh, sometimes experience that amazing uh, uh, thing of entertaining angels. Um, but for the early church, let's go back to, to who we were really focusing on. This was a really risky proposition for a couple of reasons. First of all, the uh, early church, like it, Part of how they functioned and spread was by uh, evangelists that went around and told the stories of Jesus and taught folks how to be in community and taught them how to create these house churches like Paul, like Timothy, like Titus. And they were completely dependent when they entered a community on the hospitality of the Christians in that community. But not everybody that was traveling around was trustworthy. There were some crazy heretics out there too. And so they might not always know who they were opening their house to if in fact it was a stranger, a new person on the circuit, so to speak. Um, which may be why these folks would come with letters from Paul and others that would say, hey, I know this person, they're a good dude, you can trust them, she's, she's trustworthy, she learned under so-and-so, but not everybody had those credentials. And so it was a little risky, not to mention the persecution that was going on, that um, remember we talked about last week that you would draw a part of the fish and if the other person was Christian, they would complete the image, and then you knew it was safe to, to have this con Christian conversation. So, so it had a bit of a different context, but for us, in our own circumstances, I wonder what it means for us to show hospitality to others, including strangers, and if there's a faith promise example. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to come back to the strangers part in a little bit, okay. but one of the faith promise partners that this verse reminds me of when we think about opening our homes mm -hmm. um, is the Heastons. Many yeah. of you probably know Mason and Eric. They've been an active a part of our church for many years now, and what I love about their ministry is that they both regularly use their own home as a, a site for ministry, but also invite others to, to do the same. Uh, Mason hosts a weekly Bible study at her house, at their house, and um, this group actually calls themselves Mason's Angels, maybe, maybe entertaining angels. <laughs> right, right. Um, and they're a group of professional young women who um, come together to understand and to apply God's word in their life and in their practice. And, and many of the women in this group are members of Boone UMC and active with our church. And many of them are also teachers in our county. And so mm. they're um, constantly having a huge impact on the kids that, that they teach and serve. And Eric, through his work with... Um, with Crew and the Gospel in Action initiative, he's also helped launch something called the Jesus, the Jesus and Justice um, 
series, and it's a series of meal conversations that's designed to be an easy and engaging way for anyone to invite friends over for a meal and a conversation of significance. Um, and the Jesus and Justice Initiative is a partnership with International Justice Mission, um, one of our other mission partners that I'll share a little bit more about in a moment. Um, but with Eric's leadership, they were able to, to launch these conversations on 50 campuses wow. um, last year. And, and these aren't just for college-age students, although that's been the place that they've, they've really um, launched this initiative. But if, if, if you all are interested in learning more about what it could look like for you to host these conversations, maybe in your backyard or maybe over Zoom even, um, Eric or I would, would both love to, to talk with you more about mm -hmm. what that could look like and how that could be a tool for engaging folks, maybe even folks who, who don't really know um, what, it, what it means to for Jesus to invite us into questions of justice and how we respond to the evil that we see in the world. Um, and it really, they see it as a, a tool for evangelism. Right, well, what an interesting timing for us because a lot of us are asking some of these questions around where is the social justice right now with the, the racial um, uh, tensions and struggles that our country is going through right now. So this could be an interesting tool for folks to explore. So the third verse, uh, and then we'll start speeding up a little bit, but these first three are packed um, possibilities. And the third verse talks about remembering prisoners and empathizing, suffering with those that are mistreated, with people who are mistreated or hurting. So the prisoners piece of it is, uh, I mean, that's a familiar call for Christians throughout the centuries have been called to care for those that are in prison. The context of the time is interesting, though, because the prison system looked so differently. If you were in prison during the early church time, you were dependent on someone outside to bring you clothing and food and medicine because the prison did not provide that for you. And so caring for prisoners, it literally meant caring, like, like providing the essentials for those that were in prison. And not to mention, most of who they're talking about are their brothers and sisters who've been persecuted and have been taken into prison because of their, their faith and belief. Um, but the second part of this verse is what I find really interesting and timely. And it is a call to solidarity with those who are suffering, who are mistreated, who are hurting. And what does that look like for us today? Does it look like grieving with those families who have lost a loved one due to COVID? Or maybe it's standing in righteous anger with those brothers and sisters that have watched yet another unarmed black man shot and killed. How long, oh Lord, how long before this stops happening? And at the same time, maybe we're called to solidarity with police and family members of police who worry about what might happen on their shift tonight. And what about the teachers who are struggling to creatively teach children in ways that they were never prepared to do in their training? And those persons who have lost their businesses or their jobs because of the chaos of the last several months, and we had a second person in two weeks to reach out to us struggling for rent that had never been in this position before, completely desperate because they're about to lose their, the home that they've lived in for many, many years because they've lost their income from the work that they did because COVID completely disrupted it. What about 
um, being in solidarity with the person recently diagnosed with cancer, uh, navigating hospitals and surgeries and treatments that are already hard enough but are more lonely and more complicated due to our current circumstances. So take your pick on the ways that we can try and step into solidarity with people who are suffering to try and to step into the shoes. Or I just like the image of helping to carry the mantle, the burden of suffering that so many others are struggling with. And I wonder if you've got some examples there. Yeah, and I love the way that you've ways you've mentioned that we can and that we are trying to, to carry one another's burdens during these times here locally. And another way I see us doing that is through um, our, our partnerships with Guatemala on the international front. And as we shared a few weeks ago in the mission moment, um, our church has been a lifeline for, for families in the community where we have an ongoing partnership in Potsabal, where we've been able to send much needed food relief um, there as, as folks have also struggled with loss of income and, and livelihood because of COVID-related lockdowns. But another newer way that our church has ties in Guatemala is through our partnership um, with International Justice Mission and their Guatemalan field office. And the focus of this field office is to provide rescue and restoration to women and children who have suffered from sexual violence and to transform the local justice systems to prevent further violence from happening. And so on multiple levels, I see this, uh, these two partnerships in Guatemala as ways our church is building solidarity with those who are suffering and, and trying to, to feel that, that suffering with them as we seek to, to better the circumstances of those who are suffering. Right, thank you for that. Um, so we shift gears a little bit to the last part of the Hebrews that talks about offering a sacrifice of praise that's pleasing to God. And what I love about those verses is it says, and you can do that by doing good. That that makes God so very happy. And the use of this word sacrifice is important because for the early church, that was a throwback to uh, Israelite worship where sacrifice was bringing God your very best. It was a sign of true worship. Um, the temple worship where, where that the sacrifice was key to your relationship with God. It was all, it was... It, that when we bring a sacrifice, we're bringing our best. But this makes the point that not every sacrifice has to be uh, material, that it also could be service and caring for others, the way we relate to others. And I love this quote from C.S. Lewis when he's talking about pleasing God and, and, and that, that dynamic between us and, and God. He says, to please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work, or a father in a son, it seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. And it's true. Uh, we, it, it's mind-boggling to think that we can bring delight to God, but we can. And one of the things that pleases God most is when we love one another through doing good, when we are helping those in need. Jesus taught us the two most important commandments are love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So I wonder if, if you can speak to that, Laura. 
Yeah, and I, and I love that through Faith, Faith Promise, we have this invitation not just to give our financial support to our mission partners, but that we're able to show, show up and to offer ourselves and, and what we have to further the ministry that God's doing through these organizations and partners. And so this looks like volunteering with the Firewood Ministry. It looks like being a part of, of mission trips that go to Guatemala and to Redbird in Kentucky. It, it looks like volunteering with our local agencies. And you know, as we were talking earlier, looking at verse 2 about um, opening up our homes and showing hospitality, it made me think also of an ask that, that two of our local partners made mm-hmm. to us recently. Um, hospitality House, which provides services to those experiencing homelessness, and Oasis, which provides services to those fleeing intimate partner violence, are local partners supported through our general church budget. And in a recent meeting, we were talking about other ways that the church and community could could support them. And they mentioned that each of them have these programs where they actually have funds to pay to put people into um, stable housing, but they are cannot find enough rental Mm. properties. They cannot find enough landlords willing to work with them. And so they asked, hey, do you all have connections with property owners or managers in, in your congregation? And if they if these organizations would be able to share information with them about these programs so that these folks could have a roof over their head. And we know how important that's going to be, especially with winter um, weather coming up. And so I mentioned this as just another example of how sometimes our our sacrifice of praise, our doing good, it's not just in a a one-time gift or a volunteer opportunity, but through using all that we have or Mm. even through using our business connections um, for the good of God's kingdom. And and for you, maybe that connects to this specific need for rental units. Maybe for you it's something else. But I think God is always inviting us to go deeper and to, um, to look at, at all the resources, the time, the connections, the passions that God has given us and to see how, how can I use those? How can I offer those as a sacrifice pleasing to God? How can who I am and what I have mm. be used in service to God's mission? And, that, and this also brings me to another question that I hope you'll take a second to explain because I got confused when I first got here. Because, for instance, Oasis and Hospitality House are ministries we support through our general budget. And so our, our general budget missions also um, support several agencies and organizations. But then we have Faith Promise. So what's the difference? Can you explain? Yeah, so those are, you're right, those are both ways that we provide support and and specifically funding to our mission partners. Um, So the one set of partners, mostly local partners like Hospitality House, Oasis, our local food pantries, um, those are ones that we fund out of the missions portion of our our general church budget. So when you give your tithe or offering to Boone UMC, uh, a percentage of that goes towards that missions budget. But above and beyond what we're able to do through the general budget, we have the Faith Promise missions. And this is specifically designated missions funding that goes 100% to these partners. And and typically, we've had our mission celebration, as we've said, in the spring, um, but that that's when we've collected the Faith Promise Covenant cards, and of course, with COVID, our timeline's gotten a little off. But So we're doing that now, and a little later in the service, I'll, I'll share more about how you can be a part of that. But it really is just opening ourselves to see how does God want to use us and our resources to further the ministry that God's doing in the world um, through these 
these mission partners. Awesome. Thank you for that clarification. Hey, so let's talk a little bit about First Peter um, and the holy priesthood, this priesthood of all believers where some of this language starts to really come into play. And as we said before, we're, uh, we're reminded that we're not dependent on the priests or the pastors to make the sacrifices for us like in ancient worship. And we don't uh, or shouldn't rely on pastors and church staff to do the sacral sacrificial work for us, that you're perfectly capable of offering your own gifts to God on your behalf. And as Jesus followers and baptized believers, it's actually your calling and your responsibility to be your own priest, responsible for your own actions to reveal your faith in Jesus. So there's freedom and responsibility to choose how you will worship God. And so, um, help us to to kind of talk about that concept within this practice and participation in faith promise. Yeah, so whether we've grown up in the church or not, I think often it can take a little time for us to figure out what it means for us to have that direct connection, that real relationship with God. And one of the mission partners that I know has been really influential in the lives of so many people in our church is an organization called Wilderness Trail. And they're a backpacking ministry in southwestern Virginia, and our youth group has been taking kids there for, for many years. Um, and I love hearing the stories of, of how that week out hiking on the trail can be so transformational for, for students' faith life. Um, I think of, of one youth in particular who shared about a day when, when they were hiking and they were a little distance away from the rest of their, their hiking group and they were on a really big hill and, and struggling, you know, carrying a heavy pack, right. going up a hill. And um, they really, in that moment, um, were able to, to have some one-on-one time with God and there were all the distractions and normal other stuff was was not there, and it was just them and God on the trail. And, and in that moment, it was a time of really claiming that relationship and really building that trust, not just trusting God to get them to the top of the mountain, right. and, um, but to really see how they could trust God in all areas of their life. And for so many people in, uh, who've gone on Wilderness Trail, they also then come back and, um, and they want to continue to serve. And this summer, we had four church members who were on staff with Trail. And, wow. Um, so not only have they experienced that transformation, but they want to go back and help others to experience that as well. And I, I think it's a really beautiful picture of um, our, our folks then pouring into the next generation. Right. I love that. And to be able to, to grow into um, their own priesthood, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, so the second part of that first Peter uh, passage then talks about being a chosen people and moving from darkness to light, this kind of contrast of you are nothing, and now as a Jesus follower, you, you're, you are something amazing and beautiful. Um, God delivers the despised or the downtrodden or the hopeless people. The Exodus delivered the Israelites. The early church delivered Christians through a time of persecution when the early church should have never made it through that, that movement, but it did. It persevered and then spread all the way around the world. And today we're called to be people of hope and to speak of the power of Jesus rising above the troubles of today in order to bring light into the darkness, to not let the dark and difficult times overwhelm us or others, because we have a story to tell, friends. We have a witness to be. We have a hope to share and a love to live out. And faith promise is one of the ways that we can do that. Yeah, and and as I've mentioned, 
uh, so many of our Faith Promise partners, not only do, are they sustained by our financial support, but also through our volunteers. Yep. And when I think about this idea of being a witness and sharing hope um, so that others can move from darkness to light, I think of church members who I know who are volunteer mentors with Western Youth Network. And through their consistent, caring presence with kids in our community, they are reminding the children that they mentor and their families that they matter, that they're not alone, and that someone loves them and cares about them. And so while typically many of these school-based mentors would go and eat lunch with their mentee one day a week, it's been awesome to hear that how in the spring and now into the fall when kids aren't able to, to be at school, um, the mentors have continued to creatively connect, writing letters and um, showing up in driveways and right. finding ways to still uh, maintain these connections. Mm -hmm. And I see that as just one of the many powerful ways that of how Jesus is at work through us, through the people of Boone United Methodist Church to bring light into darkness and offer hope in tangible ways. I love it. I love it. Okay, so I want to wrap up with one final question because you have been talking a lot about all of these other faith um, partners, faith promise partners. But I'd like to hear a little bit about your own personal calling of being light, uh, help bring light and hope into gloomy places and people that are, are experiencing challenge and how that offering of such a pleasing sacrifice to God, to use the language of this morning, um, has influenced you or, or changed you, Laura. Yeah, so, so I've always loved uh, serving and helping people. And as a youth, I began going on mission trips and finding ways to volunteer and looking for, for ways to do good and to, to share that light and hope. Um, and one of the things that I love about being pastor of community engagement here uh, is that I get to help others find ways to do that same thing. But when I was in college, I had this really transformative experience um, on what was called a reverse mission trip. Hmm. And often when we think about mission trips, especially overseas ones, we Maybe imagine that we're going to evangelize, to bring the good news of Jesus, to bring others to faith, when in fact, many people in the communities that we go to um, already have a deep faith. And in places of poverty, sometimes their reliance on God is, is something stronger than we may have ever experienced. Right. Um, and so on this reverse mission trip, we went over spring break to Nicaragua. And uh, we went not to build anything or lead anything or really do anything, but we went as members of the body of Christ from North Carolina going to encounter the body of Christ in Nicaragua. And the idea was that in doing so, um, in hearing their stories and being present with them, that we would have a new perspective, that we would be changed, and we could come back and see how we could faithfully impact our communities and um, work for, for justice in the world. And so the perspective that I gained on, on that um, that trip was one that continues to shape my ministry and my, my calling today. And I, I see it in how, um, how we try to live out mission and outreach as a church here and the work that we're called to do. And also in, in the way that I try to engage with neighbors in the community where I live. And one of the most important things that I've learned on this journey is that, that we need each other. Mm. And we particularly need those that sometimes we imagine we're being sent to because they need us. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's, a, there's an indigenous leader in Australia who, uh, named Lilla Watson, and she says it this way, if you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. 
So we all have gifts. We all have something to contribute. We all need something from each other. And in my life and in my faith, I've seen this play out time and again. Several, several years ago, I got involved in, in a letter-writing ministry to guys who were incarcerated. And while they often said that my letters had an encouraging word or I was able to offer a resource, something they needed at a particular moment, I also found that their letters gave me insight and a deeper understanding of God's grace. And, and mm. at times, their letters and their words were the, the light and the hope that I needed. For you. Um, and so... Now, whether it's in my neighborhood or in the church, on a mission trip, um, in day-to-day interactions, I, I try to be open to where the Spirit would, would have me be a channel of light and hope and love to others, but also where I can receive uh, that, that from others. Because we all know the saying, it's better to give than to receive. And, and so I look for opportunities to joyfully give, but also ways to be a gracious recipient. Mm. And especially um, so that others who maybe often are made to feel like they don't have anything to offer, can, um, can find that joy in giving too. Oh man, thank you for sharing that. And as you were talking, I was actually thinking about Dale Williams playing the organ today, who is actually getting ready to, to head back to, to West Africa with some of the countries that he works with, with Samaritan's Purse, and probably could resonate with some of the, the lessons that you've learned as well. Um, and we, we will hold you in our prayers um, as, you, as you head back for the first time in, in many, many months. But, Laura, thank you for the witness that you are to all of us. Thank you for the example that you are. Um, Those of us who know you admire your commitment to truly loving others in ways that bring respect and dignity to um, everyone and even especially those who are in extreme need. And I love the way that you flip things around and remind us that the reason that the sacrifice of doing good for others is so pleasing to God is not because we get to act like saviors um, to the downtrodden, but it's because it puts us in a position to learn and receive as well from all of God's people. And you remind us today that um, we can learn from everyone because God has indeed given all of us beautiful qualities and characteristics that are to be shared with one another as equals, as beloved children of God, as brothers and sisters that make up God's diverse and fascinating family that we are called to love. And I believe this is what the kingdom of God actually looks like. And that everyone uh, is helping everyone else, giving and receiving, sharing as we are able, caring for one another, and recognizing that there is a lovable goodness in each one of us, and that that is to be celebrated. When we do that, when we live that out, We are, in fact, living as God's chosen people, giving and receiving mercy. And most importantly, we are a beautiful witness to God's love, which is so very pleasing in God's eyes. And I hope in a moment that you will respond with all the generosity that you are able to in fulfilling your faith promise to God. Greg and I have already um, completed our card, and I hope that your family will do the same today. Um, So on this, this word that we have offered, we say amen.